Hello, namaste, ayibuvan, assalamu alaikum, and banakam, ladies and gents. This is Zeon with another episode of Dr. Z, A World Never Mentioned. And today we will be covering the land of spices and auto rickshaws, South Asia. First of all, my apologies for the long delay with this episode. Let's just say with being a junior in high school and that too on an online platform, things can get quite busy. However, a lot has definitely happened during this period of time. From a new president-elect, the spikes in COVID cases, and new vaccines coming out. Yeah, pretty epic. Anyway, for those of you who are new, the goal of this podcast is to engage my listeners about different regions around the world by immersing them with the history, politics, and culture. As we all know, our world is a melting pot of different cultures and people. Sometimes with the sensationalist media and politics influencing our mindsets, these true stories are being lost, and I want to bring them back to the spotlight. In previous episodes, I've covered both Latin America and the Middle East, with having guest speaker segments as well. So if you're interested, please do check them out. And of course, in light of this pandemic, I would like to acknowledge that I know it's a hard time for many of us, and I hope you all are managing it quite well. For me personally, it's quite difficult for me to stay focused in online school, but what can we say? We just gotta fight through the times. I would especially like to take a moment to send my warm thoughts and appreciation to all the frontline workers for your commitment to caring for our community. Okay, back to the interesting stuff. I am super excited to do this episode because I myself am an Indian American. So I already have a lot of background knowledge on the topics here. I visit India and Dubai basically every alternate year. And I find that every single time I always have a blast. And yeah, it's quite different from Western culture with the traffic and the insane population, but there's a lot more to the region than just curry and snake charmers. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I'll be helping you guys understand in today's episode. So, what countries will we be covering, you may ask? Well, first of all, instead of the numerous countries we usually cover, for content purposes, we'll be sticking to around seven to eight for future episodes. So we can actually go in depth about all these cultures. And when it comes to South Asia, that's pretty necessary. But today we're going to be covering India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, the Maldives, and Nepal. And for those of you who aren't aware of where the region is, it's in the southern part of Asia, bordering the Bay of Bengal, the Arabian Sea, and the Indian Ocean. So let's keep calm and curry on. (laughs) Get it? Okay, now here's the thing. I can't even count the number of times someone has come up to me and was like, yo, can you speak Indian or do you know Hindu? And because of that, I want to clarify a few things that emphasize the religious and linguistic diversity of this region. Now, first of all, hundreds of languages are there in India itself. And it's so hard to pinpoint how many actual languages are there because different sources have different definitions of what a language is as opposed to dialect. But the number of languages with more than 10,000 people having it as their mother tongue is 22. But like, let's put that into perspective. India's geographical size, or let alone the Indian subcontinent, is nowhere close to the United States. However, the population? Yeah, that makes a difference. 1.75 billion people live in the subcontinent, and that probably means that everyone will be different in their own way. The funny thing is that these languages are completely different from one another. Like, let's say you only know the language Tamil, which is spoken in South India. 
There's no way you can use context clues or something to know what is being said in Punjabi unless you are exposed to the language before. First of all, you can see a huge divide between languages derived from the northern part of the subcontinent and the southern part. There are two families of languages. There are the Indo-Aryan and the Dravidian, and they have different roots. Although both families have words that are derived from Sanskrit, the Indo-Aryan language is a lot more influenced by European roots, while the Dravidian language is a lot older, but it hasn't been established where the languages actually come from. Now, even the cultures between the two sides are quite different as well. So here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to be blessed with some songs from South Asia, and I want you to observe how different the words and the vibes are from each type. First off, we have a Bollywood song. Now, Bollywood is basically India's Hollywood, but it's actually even bigger with Bollywood producing around double the amount of films as Hollywood annually, and also the movies are much longer. Pretty whack. A major difference, though, is that Bollywood movies have these hyped songs embedded in them and are used as trailers. So personally, I get excited for a Bollywood movie based on the kind of songs that are used. I must say that Bollywood doesn't feel the same now with constant remixes of old songs, there's some songs with lyrics that don't really mean much, and then there's some songs that usually use the same exact beat over and over again. And this is in comparison to the songs in the early 2000s and even the 20th century. However, here is a Bollywood song that was released a few years ago, so enjoy. Y'all enjoy that? Now try our next type of song from South Asia. And this one is from Kaliwood. Now in India, you have Bollywood, Kaliwood, Tollywood, Mollywood. It's actually crazy. And this is what I mean when I say India is super diverse. Like, just think about it. For basically the majority of the states, which India has 28, you have a different movie industry specialized in that language. So the song I'm going to present to you is from South India, specifically from the state of Tamil Nadu. And I want you to note how different the language and the vibe is from the Bollywood song from North India. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. Now I'm moving on to religious diversity, which we'll cover more in depth in our cultural segment. But the whole subcontinent has people practicing a whole wide variety of religions. And these include like Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Sikhism, Jainism, Buddhism, and many more. As a matter of fact, the state where I'm from, Kerala, is filled with religious diversity, with a massive population of Hindus, Muslims, and especially Christians. And even in other countries such as Nepal, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka, even though they're majority religions, there's just a lot of syncretism going on. Anyway, now how did all these countries even exist in the first place? I mean, weren't they all part of like different empires? Well, let's move on to history. I'm going to start off this history segment with a quote from an activist that many people from around the world look up to today. Mahatma Gandhi. A quote of his that has always resonated with me was, The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. The reason why I bring him up so early is that he, from my perspective, is probably one of the most influential individuals in the history of South Asia. You could actually consider him as probably one of the most globally prominent figures in the modern world as well. 
He serves as a role model to many abolitionists and peace seekers. Even Nelson Mandela used him as an example. But before we get into him, let's start all the way from the beginning. South Asia has quite a rich history, from the Indus civilization to the Mughal Empire to the East India Company. And the civilization brought upon so many innovations, developed advances in math and medicine, and you could probably consider this place as the definition of diverse. You have religions and sects like Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and Sikhism all originating from the small subcontinent. Now, for a long time, unlike how it was in East Asia and the Middle East during the first half of the millennium, the subcontinent was separated by so many different sultanates and empires, all of whom actually had both Muslims and Hindus coexisting peacefully despite their differences. For example, in the Mughal Empire, although it was a Muslim-majority government, you could observe many religions living there peacefully as well. But all that changed with the arrival of the East India Company. Alright y'all, it's crash course time. In the 1600s, you will witness many European powers like the Portuguese, Dutch, French, and especially the British, all fighting for power when colonizing regions. After seeing the economic success of the Portuguese when bringing back spices, all the European powers were jealous and they were just like, yo, let's make some money off this thing. So you had the British and the French literally fighting each other for different regions. And in the end, it was pretty easy for Britain with a quarter of a million people army. They were easily able to conquer by putting different groups of people against each other and even just straight up bribing leaders. For example, as you go on, you will see that um, using the parliament, there were um, laws that were favoring Muslims, laws that were favoring Hindus, and you kind of put those two different religions against each other. And that kind of contributed to what happens in the partition. But we'll go more in depth about that later. So aside from that, it was just a piece of cake. And let's be honest, with such wealth coming from spices, who wouldn't want to just make more and more money and in turn become more and more powerful? And that's exactly what the British wanted. So remember, at the time, it wasn't exactly the British governments taking control, but rather these companies that were trying to make profit off their lands. So in this case, when the British East India Company gained more land by overcoming resistance from the Mughal, Maratha, and Sikh empires, they eventually gained control of the entire South Asia, which included mainly India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. And unfortunately, the British had no mercy at the time. There were many periods of time with famine, social unrest, and the Indian economy would just suffer at the expense of industrialization of the British East India Company. In the end, with many rebellions, power actually moved from the British East India Company to Britain itself. And as we go forward, we see heroes like Gandhi, especially, who fight for peace and against the oppression they faced. So when in South Africa, Gandhi came up with the concept of Satyagraha, which was key to his major belief in nonviolence. He motivated people of India to act against the British through protests, nonviolent ones. And one major protest was a salt march in 1930, which Gandhi led and 60,000 people got arrested. Eventually, the subcontinent did get independence, but it wasn't exactly the way that Gandhi wanted it to be done, but he accepted the result. During World War II, Britain was in massive debt and couldn't afford to hold the continent for any longer. They drew a partition between two countries, India and Pakistan, in five months. Okay, That's less than a college semester. India was majority Hindu and Pakistan was majority Muslim. There was a lot of tension between the two religions, especially, as I said before, Britain was really good at putting different groups against one another. Violence, bloodshed, rape, 
and separation of families plagued the continent, and old Gandhi was assassinated by a Hindu nationalist. This violence in India was only the beginning of three wars between the two countries. Two of these wars were over the state that proved still be a cause of military tension between these two nuclear superpowers, Kashmir. The state after the partition was under a Hindu Maharaja prince, but it had a majority Muslim population. So conflict arising. But when there was Muslim violence in cities, the Maharaj sought India's help. The two major religions and countries fought a year-long war which remained inconclusive. Then the war of 1965, it was claimed that Pakistan crossed a ceasefire between the two nations again. This created a new ceasefire that was set by the United Nations. So that, that was two wars. Now finally, this war wasn't actually over Kashmir, but it was actually over what is now called Bangladesh. Remember, even though there was India and Pakistan, back then Bangladesh wasn't even there. It was India, West Pakistan, and East Pakistan. But East Pakistan in 1971 wanted to be liberated from West Pakistan. Today, tensions are still there between both nations, India and Pakistan. And although you can notice the nationalities getting along with one another in other countries, their history prevails at the border, with both countries still paying claims of Kashmir. Now, as a cricketer, I can affirm that when India and Pakistan go head-to-head in the ICC Cricket World Cup, everyone is glued to their television screens. Forget just the Indians and Pakistanis, but the whole world. Even my mom, who doesn't even watch cricket, will be checking out the scores. But the reason why I bring this up is just to show that another battlefield between the two is the cricket field. Finally, to conclude the segment, countries like Sri Lanka, Maldives, and Nepal were also countries that were declared their independence from Britain in the 20th century, but were just not part of British India. Now that we talked about some tensions within the subcontinent, thanks to British at the time, no offense to the UK. Oh, by the way, everything is cool now because you see a huge population of South Asians in the UK itself. But anyway, back to the point, with these tensions, we'll be transitioning to global politics. So we've been talking a lot about India and Pakistan and about their global conflicts over Kashmir and also their religious tensions. However, let's focus on some of the other social issues going on. First off in Sri Lanka, there was a civil war going on until 2009, and there's still a long way to come for peace to be accomplished. The conflict is between the Sri Lankan government, which is mainly Sinhalese and Buddhist, and the LTTE, or the Tamil Tigers, which is basically a Tamil Hindu militant group. Now, what could possibly be the root of this conflict? Well, you guessed it, it's the British again. Duh, duh, duh. Now, what did the British do this time? Wow, they're really on the spotlight in this episode. But basically, when the British had control over Sri Lanka, they would bring many Tamil people from India into the island as laborers and provide them more freedom, such as education and even bureaucracy positions. So yet again, they used their divide and conquer strategies, and this time in Sri Lanka. So after the British left what used to be called Ceylon, the country changed its name and was ready to live freely, until the unexpected. So when the British left, the Sinhalese were done with the unfair rights and wanted to reclaim what they fought for. So they changed the country's name to Sri Lanka, made the official language Sinhala, and made the official religion Buddhism, while disenfranchising the British-favorited Tamilians. But the Tamilians didn't really take this too lightly. The LTTE, or the Tamil Tigers, was formed as a militant group for the minority Tamilians to have their own land known as Elam, 
in the northeastern part of this small island. After three civil wars, even with intervention from Norway and India and numerous ceasefires, the conflict still maintained. Bombings, abductions, extortions, use of child soldiers, and so many human rights violations occurred during this time period. And after many casualties and continuous efforts in the early 2000s, the government finally succeeded in cornering the leader of the militant group, Belupule Prabhakaran, and the tensions started to calm down, as Sri Lankan government finally claimed victory. So that was an extremely brief summary of the civil war, but there's just so much to it. It was a period of time that lasted for three to four decades, with many agreements and major events that occurred to ignite tensions. So if you're interested in learning more, definitely check it out because it is extremely interesting to understand. Like, I didn't even know much about it till recently. But anyway, we transition to an issue that's actually going on right now in the end of 2020, and that is the farmers' protest in India. So, here's what happened. In September, Indian Prime Minister Modi passed three agricultural laws that negatively affect farmers in the country. This caused some serious tensions as the Dili Chalo march started as a result. The protesters mainly came from the breadbasket states of India, Haryana, and Punjab. And fun fact, actually, 60% of Indians rely on agriculture for their livelihoods, while it only makes up 15% of the GDP. So just imagine how many people are being affected by this bill, positively or negatively, depending on whether they're farmers or part of corporations. It was a big bill that was passed. Farmers have been struggling for a long time, ever since the Industrial Revolution in India. However, these laws made things just so much worse. To prevent the farmers from entering the city, military troops used tear gas and water cannons. The laws that were passed put farmers at a severe disadvantage while making them almost bankrupt, but the small and large corporations were making more money. Farmers' livelihoods were at stakes, with many even committing suicide. So what the farmers are demanding for now is to withdraw those three laws which deregulate their sales of crops. Politically, if I'm being quite honest, India is kind of filled with corp um, corruption. The two major parties, the BJP, which is more right-wing, and is even the current ruling party of India, and the Indian National Congress, which is more secular and the more liberal party, are both corrupt with countless scandals on both sides. So this protest kind of exposes a part of the corruption in Indian politics, as the administration tries to favor the corporations over the farmers without much deliberation from parliament, which is their form of government. Now that we've covered all the serious topics, let's move on to my personal favorite segment, the cultural segment. So now we finally get to understand why exactly this region is so spicy. And in each of these countries, you may have many different people groups, languages, religions, races, and just many more, as I've emphasized previously. The food in this region, out of this world. And as a South Asian, you'll be able to hear some of my personal favorites. And then from natural to cultural, you just have numerous tourist sites. And along with that, there are just a lot of festivities that are too important to miss out on. So let's begin. And let's commence the segment with the country we've actually talked the least about. The Maldives. Now this country is extremely small. It directly translates to either mountain islands or thousand islands in Tamil. The country is right below Sri Lanka and situated on the Indian Ocean, but I think it's appropriate to first go off about how stunning this country is. The nation is definitely on the top of the list for places I really want to travel to. 
And it's an obvious choice. I mean, with the water villas, the lagoons, and the picturesque beaches. Like, come on now. The many tropical islands such as the Hulhumale Island and the numerous atolls are a sight to see. There's even a five-star restaurant underwater, which is also pretty insane. Now, when you're traveling here, things can get quite expensive. That's why it's a, mainly a honeymoon destination. First of all, since the country is a cluster of islands, everything is separated by the ocean. It costs a lot of money to transport yourself from island to island, and to stay in the Maldives in one of the water bungalows can also be very expensive. These bungalows have the most luxurious stuff. With great furniture, you have glass floors where you can see the ocean right under you, and what's ironic is that these bungalows have nice pools and an ocean that you can dive right into, so... I don't know why you need both of them, I guess it's a rich people thing, but anyway, if you want to truly experience what it is to actually be a Devehi, try not to go to an island that has too many resorts. So the ethnic Maldivians identify as Devehi, and Islam is the primary religion in the country. The Friday Mosque in its capital Male is also a very famous tourist site. So if I were to actually describe the Maldives, I guess you can say that it is this hidden gem not only the picturesque sites, but also the mixed culture, as they've descended from many people groups. And as an island nation, you already know that the diet is going to be mainly seafood, with the most notable dish to try, gulha, which is a deep-fried pastry ball with smoked fish. Sounds delicious, right? But anyway, let's move on to the mountainous country of Nepal. So what I'm sure most people think of when they hear Nepal is just Sherpas and mountains, many of them. And the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest, would be the tourist favorite. But there's actually a lot more to the country with its rich culture and traditions. Nepal is located in between India and China and is another country in South Asia that doesn't really get the attention it deserves. Now, unlike the Maldives, this is a backpacker's place. First of all, due to its geography and being right in between China and India, two big countries, it was never exactly colonized but definitely highly influenced. This landlocked country actually has eight of the to 10 tallest mountains in the world. And this is where the tourism sector is able to make a lot of its money. Aside from the natural beauty, the best place I would recommend visiting is the capital city Kathmandu, where you can witness a lot of the Hindu temples such as the Pashupatinath Temple and Swayambhu. While there's also the city of Lumbini, which is where Siddhartha Gautama was born. So remember when I said that Buddhism originated from India? Well, it's still widely de a debated topic right now, as people debate of the roots of Buddhism. When it comes to food, due to the country's Hindu background, most of them are vegetarian or just eat chicken and fish. Nepali food seems to be very similar with a lot of the popular dishes of India and China. However, one of the most popular dishes is dal bhat, where there's rice, lentil soup, and vegetable curry. So it's very simple and it's widely loved by the Nepali people. There are also the momo dumplings, which are an amazing snack, and as you would probably guess, there are steamed vegetables and meat enclosed in a flour-based dough. The national language of Nepal is Nepali, which is also another language that is very similar to one of India's major languages, Hindi. With the predominantly Hindu background of most of the country, the festival of Dashin, or Dashain, is probably the most important Hindu festival in Nepal. It celebrates a triumph of good over evil, and is connected to the tale of Durga defeating the demons, Ravana and Mahisasur. This is usually celebrated for 15 days after the rice harvest, 
where the rice is usually shaded red and made into tikka, which is what the elderly place on their family members' foreheads. Also during this time, kids usually don't have school, kites are flown, gifts are given, bamboo swings are constructed, and sacrifices are made to the goddess Durga. So there's a lot going on in these 15 days, and I would probably recommend visiting Nepal during this time. Another famous tradition is worshipping young girls as manifestations of the divine female energy in Hindu religious traditions until they hit puberty. Some other interesting facts about the culture is that the Nepal flag is the only flag that is not a quadrilateral, and as, um, as a matter of fact, it is made of two triangles. And additionally, Nepal time is 45 minutes off of the coordinated universal time. And instead of being just based off time zones, it's actually based off Mount Everest. So that wraps us up on Nepal, and now we'll be moving on to Bangladesh. Ah, the Bengalis. We love them. Bangladesh is the definition of what you would call a growing country, and is the most densely populated in the world, with 1,252 people per square kilometer. Bangladesh is so small, yet guess what? It's more densely populated than Russia. So what's actually going on in this bustling country? Well, if you want to travel there, the major cities such as Dhaka, Silhet, and Chittagong are some places that you should visit to truly get the feel of Bangladesh, where there are many religious shrines and great street food. There's also a lot of natural aesthetic scenery, such as the Bengali Sundarbans, which is the, which is the largest mangrove forest in the world. Food-wise in Bangladesh, there is as much variety as its population. Just a disclaimer, most of the food in South Asia are very connected to one another, as there are many of the same dishes, but each country puts their own twist on them. However, in Bangladesh, the most popular street food is definitely fuchka, which is basically a fried crisp called a puri that is filled with the spices, tamarind, onions, and potatoes. It's quite similar to pani puri in India. A famous dessert is also misti doi, which you can describe as a thick, creamy cheesecake. And finally, my personal favorite, I've had this in many Bengali people's house, is morog palau. It is chicken and rice cooked together with many spices, and it's more like a low-key biryani in India. Also remember, culturally, it's mainly Muslim, but in the region of Bengal, which incorporates West Bengal of India, you have Hindus and Muslims. So of course, in this mainly Muslim country, you have the two major holidays of Eid, Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha, and also the month of Ramadan is really important in Islam as well. We'll go more in depth about them when we cover the other Muslim-majority country of Pakistan, but in the meantime, let's move on to the Indian Ocean island of Sri Lanka. Now we move on to Pakistan. So we talk about the drama between India and this country for quite a while in this episode, but let's focus on some of the other aspects. First of all, it's interesting to note that Pakistan is the only country in the world to be found on the base of religion. It's the passageway between the Middle East and the rest of Asia. And even though the country's official religion is Islam, you can notice many temples and Hindu historical sites in the region before the partition. Additionally, some other places to visit include the Faisal Mosque, the National Monument in Islamabad, there are many historical forts and shrines, and most importantly, you have the second largest man in the world, K2. As an Indian, I have many Pakistani friends from my mosque, and my nanny was also Pakistani. So I've had a lot of Pakistani food, and the key difference I've noticed is that meat plays a crucial role in their diet in comparison to other South Asian foods, which are more vegetarian and they use more vegetables and lentils. 
Rather, in Pakistan, those are more like side dishes. Additionally, as I stress on how important meat is in the Pakistan diet, I would say that my favorite dish is those juicy kebabs, which are pieces of meat that can be marinated in any way, and they can even be put on skewers with vegetables. Also, another dish I highly recommend is halim, which I've only tried from my mom, but it's really good, and it's a savory porridge made of meat and lentils. And of course, Pakistan has really delicious biryani. Now, throughout South Asia, as there's a pretty heavy Muslim population, you'll be seeing that during the month of Ramadan, everyone is excited. The crowds are hustling and bustling as the moment the Adhan is being recited, people start to get ready to indulge in that street food. Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha are commonly celebrated as families rejoice and perform prayers and enjoy their first day off Ramadan, when they don't have to worry about not eating or drinking before during daytime. Trust me, it's a great feeling. Guys, we made it. And finally, I saved the biggest of all for last, India. In the fun fact segment, I already discussed how diverse India is in culture, religion, and language, while also spending a large amount of time covering its history and its conflicts. India has a very diverse landscape, from mountains to deserts to jungles, but the two biggest cities in India include Delhi and Mumbai. Now, when I say cities, these places aren't just regular cities. These places are huge both physically and more populous in comparison to U.S. states. Now, when it comes to places to visit, you have one of the seven wonders of the world, which include, which is the Taj Mahal. Other places include Chani Chok, which is a very busy shopping area. You have the India Gate. And I think throughout India, you would always want to make sure you check out those really nice street side places. They're a great place to bargain in. And trust me, I have a mom who loves to bargain. You also have religious sites, including the Qutub Minar and the Lotus Temple and Jama Masjid. Then you have Mumbai known for being the place where people can, from all around India can come and follow their dreams. It's like sort of like the New York or LA of the United States. It's the heart of Bollywood and this is where you can witness some luxury. Even the richest family in India, the Ambani's live here and they have a huge building that's just called their home. If you're a beach person and you wanna go outside of those two cities, Goa is just a place for you. And then there's also the Golden Temple in Punjab. That's like the holiest site for Sikhs. Additionally, if you're like a backpacker, there's the Himalayas Mountains to the north, and one of the popular destinations would be Shimla. Other notable cities include Hyderabad, Kolkata, Chennai, and many more. Ugh, there's just so much to talk about for India. It might as well have its own episode. Food-wise, there are so many common dishes. Towards the north, you have foods such as naan, which is a South Asian bread. You have chole, which are Indian chickpeas. And samosas are a very common snack, which is basically a pastry appetizer that can be stuffed with potatoes, vegetables, and even potentially meat. And the favorite street food that I'm sure everyone loves is chaat, which is a mixture of vegetables, spices, and crisps. And when you have one bite, it's a burst of flavors in your mouth. In South India, you have dishes such as idli, which are kind of like these savory rice cakes. And then you have dosas, which are these savory rice pancakes. And then bada is like a savory donut that can be had with sambar, which is a South Indian stew. And finally, although India celebrates many holidays, I'll be going over two big ones, Diwali and Holi. Diwali is known as the Festival of Lights, and it's the biggest holiday by celebrated by Hindus. Sikhs and Jains. People light oil lamps around their houses to entice the goddess Lakshmi to visit their houses, and people go out and party with new dresses and amazing food. 
Holy is also a huge deal, as this one is where people get to throw color powder at one another. I've been to numerous holy parties, and I just love the colorful spirit. The holiday is celebrated to commemorate the start of spring. Now, unfortunately, when covering these countries' cultures, there's just so much more to talk about, but not enough time to do so. So this concludes our part one segment on South Asia, but be sure to check in to our next segment, which includes an interesting interview with our special guest speaker. So until next time, this is Dr. Z signing off with the quote, We travel not to escape life, but for life to not escape us. Or in Sinhala, Api gaman karanne jivitayan palayamata novu, jivitaya appin palayama navit vimmatay. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast and stay tuned because guess what? We have a super engaging interview coming up. So see you next time on Dr. Z, A World Never Mentioned. Music